Hi, everybody. Sorry. Oh, boy. I know this is going to be a good podcast because I've got like two bang energy drinks now. So, like, I'm stacked and ready to go. Let's make this happen. Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel Fullest. And I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Ethan Dev. And I'm Tucker Marcus. We have a very special guest with us today we've got jesse falcon who is uh lord of the underworld for all action figures toys and collectibles for the walt disney company is that correct jesse uh not necessarily the walt disney company i oversee all the product development for uh marvel and all of their toys action figures and collectibles uh and have been doing that for quite a long time and have had too much fun doing it every single day uh, yeah, so much fun in that we're, we're doing this over, you know, we're, we're chatting over video chat and, uh, I've only been to your house in LA once before, and I don't even remember the room that I'm looking at where you're in. I've been, I remember your, your amazing shed with all the cool stuff in it, um, and various toys around. Wh- where are you in your house and what, what's all behind you? Okay. So for those of you who can't come to my house and hang out with me. Imagine your worst nightmare, drifting into a pit <laughs> of absolute desolation and horror. Uh, no, it's just it's a it's a you know it's a it's a square room with a couch, and uh, I'm honestly like like four walls of gigantic shelves that are the collection of comic books and reference that that we accumulated. You know when we were doing all of the toy work in the past. So when we started working on Resident Evil. I went out and I got a bunch of books on skin diseases because I wanted the zombies to look authentic as possible. I have all that stuff here. Um, I have a great section of books about toys from Japan and Japanese designers like Nirasawa and Takeyuki Takaya, who are Nirasawa passed away a couple years ago. And Takeyuki Takaya is the greatest living toy designer on the planet. Uh, he works primarily with the company Bandai, but has worked with toy, uh, hot toys uh, in the past. Um, and is just an incredible, incredible designer, sculptor, painter, illustrator. I mean, the guy is just a, a monster powerhouse. I have, uh, it's funny because during, you know, the lockdown, I've had a chance to go through everything. I have so much stuff from Lord of the Rings. Uh, we got, I got to go spend three months in New Zealand in 1999 because at that point they'd been filming the movie for about three years. So I have all of this stuff that we collected while we were down there, like pictures of uh, being on set and like, like weird artifacts that they that that I ended up acquiring through New Line, uh, but then the other side of this is that I have I've never thrown anything away, and I've like really curated <laughs> my my weird toy collection because it to, to me it's like oh this is I kept I kept hold of the things that were inspirational to me, and I'm trying to find ways to bring those ideas and the feeling that I had when I played with those for the first time, trying to recapture that feeling in a new. Uh, toy or a new idea, uh, so that's why they're kind of here. It's it's, it's like a it's like a constant reminder of, of what you know what I'm supposed to be doing with my job. Like you know, like find this magic and repurpose it and give it to kids again. <laughs> Jesse, you you mentioned like the we of it all. You're like we made the Resident Evil toys and stuff, but who is the we? What's your history with Marvel? So I started working for Marvel in 1994. I technically was hired uh, by a company called Toy Biz. And a couple years after I was hired by Toy Biz, uh, I at that point was a, I think, a junior project manager. Uh, Toy Biz acquired Marvel uh, in a bankruptcy buyout. Um, and when that happened, uh, that's when really this first giant renaissance of superhero uh, content started to make its way into Hollywood because the whole pitch that Toy Biz had for acquiring Marvel was that we have a plan. We want to take these characters. We want to turn them into tentpole summer films and and we want to build this brand out. And, and that's how we're going to do it. And they did it. Uh, X-Men happened. Then it was Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Hulk, so on and so forth. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Wolverine, right? Yeah, that's right. But before we get into Wolverine with Jesse Falcon, we are going to tell you some great news because there are four issues released digitally this week. Tucker, What's the first one we got to talk about? Uh, first up, we have Ant-Man number four, and boy, oh boy, is it exciting to have new books 
to dive into so many of our favorites uh, here and upcoming. Uh, this is written by Zeb Wells with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And man, oh man, I, it's that thing where I don't know if if I don't know if I would re I have read this book the same if if we just had you know if it just had come out you know as originally intended normally spaced between issue number three and four but oh man it was it was great to have it back because uh, it does that thing it just packs the punch in every single way you want it to it's really masterful in that way where it is hysterical it is so light on its feet in that way but it's also got so much heart and and that's that's really really becoming the the, the, the silhouette of this book, when I think of it in, in my mind now, is, is just both of those things in equal measure. Yeah, the first couple pages almost brought me to tears in like yeah. a good way, yeah. I'll be honest. Like, but it's, you know, just the, the whole of what you say, everything that's going on right now, but also like being a new dad and, and all kinds of stuff. This is a very impactful issue and it is funny and it is wonderful. Take this opportunity to try some new books this week. And, and if you do, Ant-Man rules. Uh, next, we have Avengers of the Wastelands, number four, written by Ed Brisson, art by Jonas Scharf, with colors by Niraj Manan and inks by Corey Pettit. Uh, this one has Doom versus Hydra, which is the first few pages wild. It is bonkers little segment going in there. Uh, also, I love that it has Baron Strucker in the storyline because it means I get to talk about Baron Strucker's uh, weapon, which is the Satan Claw. That is his his <laughs> gauntlet, his weird metal hand, uh, which is one of the gnarliest weapons in the Marvel Universe. And that just means I get to say Satan Claw. Like that. <laughs> and uh, this is really, it's a brutal issue. There's a wild fight that ends in a really gross way. And there's a MODOK moment in here that made me very sad. Uh, we'll just I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, such great stuff from that entire team. Uh, and then next up, we have uh, Ghost Spider number nine. Speaking of uh, an incredible and really idiosyncratic book and creative team, it's written by Shauna McGuire with uh, art by Iguara, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, I, I don't again. I, I don't know what it is, but just. Having a bit of a step back from 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 a book like this, coming back into it, uh, I I just got to shout out Ian Herring's colors because he is uh, the supplier of some of the most specific uh, and really characterful colors in comics for me. Uh, I think he's the longtime color colorist uh, for a, a bunch of Kamala Khan stuff, uh, and to see him jump into a book like this, which in my opinion, has a very specific color palette tied to its DNA. And I don't think that you can say that about very many books. Uh, it, it just makes perfect sense because he, he captures the, um, the connection between colors and character in, in such a brilliant way. This was one of those books that was just such a joy to dive back into new comics with because uh, I, I just love, you know, everything that we were talking about with Ant-Man, I, I feel like I have a similar perspective of, of Ghost Spider. It just occupies such a specific space in my mind. And as we've gotten further and further into uh, what this Ghost Spider series is and what it's setting out to do, the story it's setting out to tell, and the way that Shauna writes this character is, uh, I think it's just a, a match made in heaven it's so perfect it's that corner of the marvel universe that i just love spending time in um and whether that manifests itself with like real drama like we get in this issue or just those really pure moments that we get with gwen like we also get in this issue is just you know it, it is always just such a delight to return to especially now yeah if you've never read ghost spider you can jump in on this issue and mm -hmm. i think you'll love it it's a great great intro to things Last of the four new books out this week is Ravencroft, number four, written by Frank Thierry, art by Angel Inzueta, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I got to give big shouts to Angel for, um, one, drawing a really tasty, young John Jonah Jameson uh, cub reporter that is just like young and fit and ready to just report all over you he is uh it's terrific and then uh the creepy monsters throughout the story are just gross his art is perfect 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 for that but this issue has christmas a cosmic cube aliens vampire monsters revenge and a really cool guest star by the end 
Um, it's really weird stuff. I think you're going to dig it. Yeah, it's great. So those are the issues out on the Marvel Comics app. Check out your, your Marvel Comics app. Try something new here. Check these issues out and then let us know what you think. You can always tweet us at Agent M and at Tucker Marcus on Twitter. Hashtag Marvel's pull list. And uh, now let's, uh, let's slice and dice it with some Wolverine talk. Tucker, what are we talking about this week? This week we're talking about Enemy of the State. Uh, this is uh, Wolverine circa 2004. It's issues... 20 through 25 uh it's this incredible arc that i had a crazy great time reading yeah and and jesse you're the one who picked this because we wanted to we were like hey let's talk to jesse let's see if he's got a marvel story that he would want to talk to us about for one of these reading club episodes and you threw out like five wolverine stories and i don't know why I specifically was like, yeah, let's do this one. Um, but why did you pick this story? Well, I mean, you have two powerhouses here. You've got Mark Miller and John Romita Jr. That in and of itself makes this an absolute modern classic. And I want to just sidestep for a second and just talk about Mark. Mark is a stone cold genius when it comes down to what he does. Um, you know, I mean, the Marvel stuff in and of itself, you know, there are so many things that he's done uh, that have turned into giant, uh, you know, break, uh, break mold uh, uh, events for us. Um, you know, uh, you know, Civil War uh, and then, you know, uh, Old Man Logan. You know, I mean, we, we that's such an incredibly fantastic high concept. Um, and it's been able to be extrapolated in all these different things and, and, you know, and gone on and had a life of its own, even be, be outside of what it was. But ultimately the thing that I loved and love about enemy of the state and old man Logan is that, um, they're very similar stories in that, um, they're very simple, you know, from a standpoint of kind of a high concept and, and simple in the sense that like, you know, I think every great Wolverine story is a great Western you know, I, I love good Westerns, you know, like they're, I, I love that, that format. I love noir films and the noir films have a tendency to, you know, uh, you know, kind of shift over to like maybe daredevil, you know, like is more of a, you know, detective more of a, or, or even, you know, uh, you know, those kind of characters. But I feel like all of the best Wolverine stories, the ones that I love the best are, you know, very simply can be described as Westerns. And this one, it, you know, if you think about the Western genre, they are all, you know, uh, great. The modern Westerns, the Sergio Leone spaghetti Westerns are all greatly influenced by Akira Kurosawa. Um, so, so I think with old man Logan, you've got this great Western. And then with enemy of the state, you've got this great kind of samurai story, Akira Kurosawa. Um, and it's so, it's so beautiful and such a brilliant idea, you know, for, for years, this is a character that, um, uh, appealed to me as a very a little kid because he was so mysterious. We never knew anything about his backstory, you know? And then he would pop up in places where he would run into somebody and go, oh, yeah, I've known that guy for a long time. And, you know, he really saved my butt here and there. And it's like, whoa, whoa, he saved Nick Fury's butt? You know, like, like who is this guy? You know, like, what does he, what, what can he do? Um, There's a great deal of mystery around him. But, you know, when he really, you know, when he really got the opportunity to, like, go full throttle uh it was very rare and it was always very like whoa this guy this little dude is super dangerous so the idea that hydra or the hand i mean i feel i feel like you know it's the hand but like you know i feel like this is also like so this would also have worked with hydra reprogrammed him and said let's turn him on his friends and then you know, you systematically walk through every single major franchise that Marvel has and watch him dismantle them one by one, not just from a standpoint of brutality, but like watch him outthink everybody, you know, watch him outmaneuver any, everybody. Um, and, and that is, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a simple high concept, but like when you really get into this book, um, and look at what Mark does and then what John does on top of Mark's work, um, it's just so exciting. And then, you know, I know we're only talking about the first half of this, which is great, because um, if you're turning this into a movie, these are these are two movies, right? You got the first movie where you know he's 
he gets tricked and is reprogrammed and becomes a weapon. And then the second movie where, you know, they finally make him realize that he's a bad guy and he, he comes around and then he gets to turn all of that back on uh, the people who've double-crossed him. So um, it's just it's just such a great story. Jesse, it's obvious that you're a, a, also a huge movie fan. I cannot resist uh, as someone who, who counts the Western as their favorite type of movie, the favorite genre. What, what, can you name some of your favorite Westerns? I, I, can't, I sure. can't help but ask. Uh, Unforgiven obviously is up there. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Japanese version of Unforgiven. This is a, this is a rare thing. Typically, what happens is the Japanese uh, will make an amazing film set in feudal Japan, and then you know Western a Western filmmaker will take that concept like Yojimbu and turn it into uh, you know the a spaghetti western. Sergio Leone did that, but they did the reverse with Unforgiven. So Ken Watanabe plays the Clint Eastwood character. It's set in the 15th century, and it's the exact same movie, and they made it like uh, 10 years ago. It's awesome. And it, like, you know, like when he, it, the, in the last act of the movie, when he goes like nuts, and they're all like, Jube! And it's just like, I watch it on a plane, and I'm like, I'm crying because it's so good, and I'm also crying because it's so funny to me, like, that they're all just screaming his name, and he's just walking around this, you know, this, this like, uh, it's like a brothel, and he's cutting everybody up with his samurai swords. You have, you have to find that movie. It is just so lovely. I love that film. Oh, that sounds incredible. The, uh, the Proposition is another fantastic Western, not set in the West. It's, it's an Australian film. But also, like, the Mad Max movies are great westerns. You know, just from a standpoint of, like, I would, I would, I would even go out on a limb and say uh, the Fast and the Furious movies, <laughs> for what they are, are, you know, their own interpretation of, like, you know, that western genre. Yeah, they, I honestly, like, I've never met a film that I didn't love. It didn't, you know, it, uh, the good ones I love and the bad ones I really love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Before we get into the book, I, I want to get a little, uh, ask a couple more things, Jesse, because you know you mentioned you loved Wolverine even when you were a kid. Is he your favorite Marvel character? I think so. I mean, listen, I, it's it's hard for me to pick a favorite Marvel character because every one of them is so complex and deep, and you can find all of these great little fun nuggets with every one of them, from Spider Man to Obnoxio the Clown. Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, like there are all there's something fun there with everybody, but. Um, I literally learned how to read on Spider-Man Easy Reader comics when I was a kid. I used to save my money. They, there was a deal that Marvel had with the Electric Company, and Spider-Man would appear on the Electric Company. And the bit was, uh, Spidey didn't talk. He would, you know, when he had something he needed to communicate, it became a word balloon. So kids were encouraged to read. So that was the hook. So they, there was a little bug on the comic book covers that had the, you know. Uh, the cool guy from the electric company, like reading a comic book and it's an easy reader. I'm like, well, I, you know, I was like, mom, this is the thing from the show. And she's like, well, if you, you know, save up your money. And I did. And I got as many easy readers as I could. I learned how to read, <laughs> reading Spider-Man. So for years I was a giant Spider-Man fan. I love Cap and all the Avengers. But in third grade, I used to love drawing these characters too. And in third grade, uh, the other kid in school that was way better at illustrating than I was, we used to have drawing competitions. This kid would always smoke me. Um, he brought this other comic and I'd never seen it. So I'm like, what is this? And he's like, oh, this is X-Men. It was X-Men 128. It was when they were in Scotland and they fought Proteus. Um, and, uh, you know, already it's kind of a zombie story. So there's like a decaying human that, you know, that is in there. And he attacks Jean Grey. I didn't know who any of these characters were. But it was very clear that this this cool design character with this neat mask was upset. It was like, oh, man, he got his girlfriend. And then you, there was a panel where it was a reverse shot of Wolverine removing this, decap, this decaying corpse's innards. And I was in third grade, and I was like, I, I was like, oh, my God. They showed this in a comic. And at that point, I was, like, obsessed. I was like, who is this guy? I need to know more about him. He's the best. Look at what he does. No messing around. No tying people up. No leaving them for the cops. Mess with my girl, you get the knives. And I'm like, oh, geez, this really spoke to me. And I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid, I took athletic tape and took wire cutters 
and cut the bottom part of the wire hanger off, six of them, taped them to the back of my hands and would be like in the backyard, <laughs> whipping around and, and honestly cut, really badly cut myself a couple times. Because when you <laughs> cut that wire with the wire cutter, there's a sharp edge on it. It's very not, it's very dangerous. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really liked this character for a long time. I think he's, I always thought he was very cool, but um, yeah, my entry point was John Byrne and uh, Chris Claremont and Terry Austin. As you were talking a little bit, you know, you, you get into characters, you get into voices. Uh, and I don't know if some of our listeners know, but you've done tons of voices for Marvel characters across numerous types of media. Uh, and I've, I've heard your Wolverine many, many times. Um, can we have a little bit of what your Wolverine I, sounds I like? Will, I will read to you from the book of Millar and Ramita. Oh, yeah. I hate Japan. It's so beautiful. I hate the cherry blossoms because it reminds me of the one time in my life when pain went away, only to come back twice as bad. Ishiro was her cousin, skinny little guy who got drunk on two bottles of sake. I've only seen him once since the wedding, and that was the funeral. His voice on the phone brought it all back, brought it all flooding back. Champagne in the hot springs, chocolates in the Bay Bridge, making love in the mountains. Like I said, I hate Japan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That really got me. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. that little passage. I, I went back and I looked at this again. In that little passage, it's like Mark really captures, you know, the thing, the thing that I think you love about this guy is that, and, and any of these characters, is that, you know, when you, when you pull this veneer back of it being a superhero, is that there's a real character in there uh, with honest-to-God feelings and, you know, uh, this this one love that he had in his life. And this is what was so brilliant about the setup of this book is the way that they positioned him. You know, it's like that scene in Ronin, if you guys have ever seen that movie, where Robert De Niro ambushes uh, Sean Bean with a, with a cup of coffee. You know, they're planning the heist and De Niro's looking at Sean Bean. He's laying the thing out on the board. He's like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And he like he puts a hot cup of coffee on the side of a table. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And he backs him up into it. And he, like this coffee spills on him. He's like, he's like, I did that to you on purpose. I'm I'm showing you that you you are out of your league. And that's how brilliant the setup is because at first when you're reading this, it's like, oh, these kidnappers picked the wrong kid, you know. And and they, they've now put Ichiro uh, into this situation where. Uh, he has to, you know, the, the cops write his name down, his son's name down wrong three times, and maybe that's a plant as well. But they just let him sink into despair to a point where he's like, the only person I have left is to call this superhero, this guy I know, Logan. And when he does, Logan's like, I'm pissed you didn't call me sooner. You know, and it's, it is and the, the whole reason that they, they killed this kid was to draw Wolverine into the open so that they could capture him and reprogram him. Uh, that, just the setup, just the setup itself, uh, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. In fact, I was so excited about doing this podcast. I brought this book. I, I told my dad about it, and I sent it to him. He read it, and he was like, wait, so why did they capture the driver's son? Like, it, it's, it really is like, go. you know, I think it would be, you know, it, it's it's subtle and it's you have to go back and read it again, but it's so well written. It's such a lovely uh, diversion tactic to draw him out. Yeah, the Mark Miller of it all is really good. In the um, the, I have the big oversized hardcover, and the intro to the whole thing is by Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis writes amazing comics, amazing Punisher comics, um, but he he notoriously does not like superheroes like he doesn't care for superheroes yeah and so in in his intro he says um so what am i doing reading all six issues of this fascinated in spite of myself desperate to find out what happens next 
well, that's Mark Miller for you. Where I look at Wolverine <laughs> and the X-Men and see nothing but costume cod swallop, Mark sees something wonderful. He sees a billion possibilities. He runs through the Marvel Universe like a maniac with a samurai sword and a blender, chopping a piece off here, stealing a bit there, mixing, matching, transmuting, coming up with something new and fabulous because he believes in the promise of this stuff, and he ends up making me believe in it too, which I think is such a great like description for what Mark does because you have this wonderful setup that you talked about, Jesse, and then the the I, I almost called this a movie because it feels so cinematic and it starts going and pulling from all these different things. And as you mentioned earlier, like he's Wolverine's going through the different parts of the Marvel universe throughout the story. We see Avengers, we see street level heroes, we see Fantastic Four, we see you know villainous sides of things, we see the government. It's like it is just such a a wonderful blend of all kinds of cool stuff to that point ryan i feel like it really it really shows you uh what a five alarm fire it would be for the marvel universe if wolverine had become a bad guy you know like there isn't anybody that goes oh this isn't a problem for me you know i mean maybe the silver surfer right because he's off world but like you know what i'm saying like shield the x-men fantastic four daredevil you know like uh God, the whole interaction with Daredevil and Electra is just so well done. Um, yeah, and, and the other thing that I loved is that Mark picked North Star uh, as kind of a kind of a, a like a, a like a soft star here. You know, it's almost like you know if you've got movies, you've got an A character and a B character and a C character storyline going on. But really, what he did with North Star, and I've I've always loved I love Alpha Flight. And I've always loved that that ability, like North Star and uh, Aurora's ability, like they're just fast. And you know, when I was a kid, um, we moved around a bit, and uh, I had a lot of trouble uh, fitting in, and I ended up getting into a great deal of fights and mo- losing most of them. Uh, and my dad sat me down one day, and he was like, "Look, there's a there's a methodology for winning fights, and it's it's a three tiered structure: um, s- intelligence, speed." and strength. Um, anyone who is smarter, who the smartest person will always want to fight. But if you have smarts and speed, you will always outmatch someone with strength. But if you have all three of those abilities combined, um, you are very uh, well matched to go into physical combat with somebody. Um, and I, I, I love that, you know, kind of triangle of understanding of what it, it applies that that sim- that very simple description applies itself, I think, very well to superheroes, right? Because if you look at the strength of superheroes, you've, you've got characters that are very strong, but then some are very strong, uh, 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 very fast, uh, and then you know you've got like the the very intelligent ones who always sit at the top of the pile, the you know Professor X's, the Reed Richards, the Tony Starks. Um, but North Star's ability just to be quick, we don't have many of those characters in in the Marvel pantheon. We've got a few of them, but not many. Um, and, uh, it's just a power that like when, when it's used, uh, as a real weapon is like it, like it would be terrifying. I think the best way for me to describe it was I never understood Nightcrawler's ability to teleport. I always thought he was a a character that helped move people around when I was reading it in the comics. I never understood how that would be useful in a fight until I saw the opening sequence of the second X-Men movie. And then I saw in practical time how effective that would be as a, like as a tool to uh, defeat an opponent. Uh, And I was like, Oh my God, this guy is like brutal. But like the same thing with, uh, you know, having the speed. And I just love that he picked North star and like kind of made him like, like a champion, but also there's that alpha flight connection too, the Canadian connection, you know? So it's like, if you've been a longtime reader like myself, uh, it's got that's got some good feels in it. Hell yeah! Uh, you did jump ahead a couple of issues. Uh, you're a wild man, which I love. I want to. I actually want to take us back a little bit. And some of the one of the fun things that we've been doing on these episodes is sort of setting the stage of what this story, like the time period of this story. So um, the first, these are it's a six issue story, Enemy of the State. What we're particularly talking about. It's October sixth, two thousand four to February sixteenth, two thousand five. Um, at this time, Wolverine, this is the third, like, sort of the, the second uh, ongoing Wolverine story. And um, it's now a Marvel Knights book, so it's got parental advisory warning, which I think is an important piece to remember that this is 
this is not a, a kid's book in, in, for any stretch of the imagination, even more so than the, what you were talking about when you were a kid. Like this takes it and like amps up the the content in here. <laughs> I, I'm honestly every every Wolverine story should be a, <laughs> yeah, a Marvel Max story. <laughs> uh, Mark is of course the writer. John Romita Jr. is our penciler. Klaus Jansen is the inker. Paul Mounts is the colorist. Russ Wooten is the letterer. Uh, Johnny Jr. So good. Um, I, I want to also think about where this was in terms of Marvel publishing. So this story starts about five months after Joss Whedon and John Cassidy have launched Astonishing X-Men. So there's heat and excitement around the X-Men and Wolverine, um, you know, of, like that you got that going on. You have, of course, the movies that have been going on for a little bit. Um, and these creators in particular are on fire. Mark Miller uh, at this point, had been doing Ultimate X-Men and the, the Ultimates for a couple of years. He had just he was doing Marvel Knights Spider-Man concurrently with this Wolverine story, and he launches Ultimates Two with Brian Hitch during this story. So, like that is wildly good stuff. Then Johnny Junior, at uh, he's been in comics at 25 years at this at the point of this book coming out. He drawn Wolverine tons during his X-Men run. Um, but he's a machine because I was looking at what he was doing. He had just come off a four-year run on Amazing Spider-Man, which was just after a bunch of other Spidey stuff. But for a year, he was doing Incredible Hulk and Amazing Spider-Man at the same time, both series coming out in the same month. I mean, what other penciler has that ability to generate that much content and not let the quality lag? And And that's... I mean, I have never, I've, I don't, I don't ever remember looking at a John Jr. book and, and going like, and not thinking, wow, you know, like he is, the, the, it always stunned me because I would, you know, before I started working for Marvel, John was still, you know, at that point, it, 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 you know, as a younger man, still prolific. Like I would go and look at, I'm like, oh, here he is doing Iron Man. I'm like, oh, here, here he is doing X-Men. Uh, you know, he was, he was all, you know, all over the place. And, and um, God, it just, it, it's incredible to me. I mean, I'm just flipping through this book now and there's so much detail in here, you know, like every page is just riddled with, with stuff. It, I also feel it, it's crazy looking at that credits page because Klaus Janssen is doing inks, uh, which is like, and it, it just in an incredible kind of uh like asset to have on that team as well you know someone who worked on some of the best you know marvel comics ever it just it's just this murderer's row that yeah uh, really comes through and I, i'm really struck by like these all these creators who, who are so timeless that this book simultaneously feels very perfectly of the era um uh in terms of the tone in terms of um the kind of silhouettes um but it also feels super super uh kind of modern you know at the same time it it, it is simultaneous it's that, it's that wonderful thing that you get sometimes where it feels has this nice kind of retro flavor but at the same time it doesn't feel dated at all even when you're reading it you know 16 years later to your point, when you read that that kind of you know little bit of that little bit of monologue at the top of the the book, it so succinctly both somehow manages to give like years of backstory and this kind of iceberg theory level we talked about like noir movies, just like these like little three words in a sentence that you're like, oh my god, there is so much in that. Yeah. Uh, at the same time as getting to know this character's voice so perfectly, I mean, you cannot. I don't. I don't think you can really imagine a better encapsulation of who this character is than like you can feel his humanity and the heart within him, but at the same time he's this hard-boiled guy who resists that. But it's there, and I think that balance is incredible. And the ability to have that kind of laid out in a page or two is just nuts. No, without a doubt. I mean, that's that's just Mark being, you know, Mark. He, he like such a strong writer. It's great. Well said. There, there are two quotes I wanted to pull of Wolverine. One is Mark writing the um, what a description of Wolverine's healing factor, and he writes it 
is a caption box and it is quote i can feel it all slithering into place which i don't think i've ever heard that description of the way wolverine's healing factor knits himself back together and the idea of like it's so it's so immediately visual you can see him on this table and you don't need to see the the innards but it's just like that idea of the gross like workings inside him is so good so awful and then in the next issue he's fighting um uh he, he's murdering shield agents and it's quote red confetti sprays right in my face organs bursting in the air every time i swing my fists around it's just isn't that a haiku <laughs> i think that's a haiku. Like a haiku it's a wolverine yeah. haiku wow. red confetti exploding in my face organs exploding <laughs> every time i Swing my fists around. <laughs> oh god! Um, you know, there, there's a lot that happens. The first issue, you know, it's quick. Wolverine gets taken out within the first like 15 pages. Um, it's a surprise, and part of the great part of the, the the surprise is we get the first appearance of a new villain in this, who is the Gorgon. Like he he's great here, and he builds up over the course of these six issues. Jesse, as someone who has been at Marvel and seeing like characters developed and created what gets you excited about a character like gorgon i first of all i i love that they made a new character here uh you know that this was something that that was like let's build something homegrown for this story um uh and also you know j- just for anybody who is uh, you know hasn't read this book or is a big marvel fan we're talking about a new character named gorgon not gorgon from uh the inhumans um two totally different characters gorgon uh uh, for this story is a new mutant. Um, he is incredibly intelligent. He's a level two mutant. Um, and he has as crazy as it sounds. And that's what they say. That's what Nick Fury says. As crazy as it sounds, he has the ability, the ability to kill anybody he looks at. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, truly like the uh, Gorgon of ancient uh, mythos, um, he has the ability to turn people to stone with a stare. Um, and they, by doing that, I think, uh, you know, it's one of these things from a from a writing standpoint. I think that Mark may have come up with the finale, bef- you know, like because I feel like what happens in the finale. I'm not going to say it because that's not what we're doing here. Like he may have pre baked that into the design of who this character is because there's such a satisfying way for these two characters to like have a finale. Um, that it's uh, that that may have been part of the development of a new character here. But the other thing that I love is by adding a new character. They build something that I always love is what you, we have all these, you know, organizations inside of the Marvel uh, mythos. You know, you've got Hydra, you've got the Hand, countless other uh, bad guy teams, Brotherhood of the Mutants, the, the Reavers, uh, so on and so forth. But to have this guy as kind of being like a standout character for an organization like the Hand uh, gives it uh, gives it more, a little bit more depth and a little more uh, you know, uh, cred, you know, the hand, uh, for lack of a better way of describing them are great, uh, you know, you know, villains to, uh, destroy for a, a whole swath of different heroes, Electra, Daredevil, Wolverine, um, anybody from, you know, the Far East. So, and it, they're also not like, you know, like real people, they are reincarnated. You know, there's some question there. Are they, are they zombie ninjas? And if they're zombie ninjas, that's cool. <laughs> zombie ninjas, you got two great things and you smush them together, you know? Uh, it's like an ice cream sandwich. Uh, so uh, to have Gorgon, you know, kind of like rise above all these characters and really capture Wolverine, do something that like, wow, you know, Hydra didn't do that. Um, there's a whole group of people out there. Leviathan, you know, that group. I'm sure they, they've got Wolverine on a, on a hit list somewhere. Um, so uh, I, I love the character. And also, and I don't know if they get into this in the first part of the story, I love the relationship that he has in this book uh, and who it's with. Uh, it's a very, very cool, very weird, very creepy, uh, very thing that they've done. Um, Do you mean the 175-year-old uh, head of, like, financer of Hydra who is also a Satanist? Yeah. Primo. Primo he, Mark yes. Miller right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, 100%. Like, those two go on long walks together, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
It's great. I love that super, you know, it's just one of these things where it's like, you know, it's one other element that you've added to this character where it's like, okay, this character is kind of disgusting. You started off and, you know, a child has been fed to pigs and it's because of this guy, you know, uh, what you assume. So it's just like this. And then from there, you know, it just goes down the toilet for, for this dude and who he is. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first issue we get uh, Gorgon and his hand ninjas uh, taking out Wolverine. They kill him. They reincarnate him. Uh, and that, that end of the first issue is so good because it's one of the things that I love. And I'm sure you picked up on this, Tucker, was the, the caption boxes where um, Wolverine's inner monologue becomes an inner dialogue. And he's himself but then there's the hydro programming version of him sort of telling him to kill 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 and i, I gotta give a shout out to russ wooten who's the the letterer here the wolverine's normal caption box remains like tan colored and his programmed caption boxes are green and i think that's such a really neat storytelling device i i i love it so much because in a way it gets at the core of wolverine because like we were talking about before, he why I think people love him so much is that he's this hardboiled guy. Um, but he really does have you have to dig really deep in there, but there's a heart at the center of him. But then you have his berserker rage, which kind of in its own way unlocks a different part of him, and that's just a normal thing that we know about this character. So to have this, which I feel like harnesses that dichotomy um and puts it at the front and center of this story is so so cool aside from the, the just the pure um just kind of narrative you know awesomeness of it of just like who's the probably literally the one character that you wouldn't want turned against his allies in in terms of just the entire superhero world that would probably be wolverine and um so for both those reasons i agree and i, th I think the way that it's visualized the way that it's written the way the kind of to, to jesse's point the subtleties of those little moments I think are just executed so so beautifully. There's um there's a line I think Electra says it. If you take a man and turn him into the ultimate living weapon, you really can't complain when someone else gets their hands on the trigger. <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's great. I mean, honestly, the the thing that this reminded me of, uh, and one of the, the I think one of the best. There are so many great Wolverine stories. Uh, honestly, so many in my mind. But one of my favorite was Weapon X. Um, and the, one of the things that I loved about the Weapon X story was that it, you know, it, it told you the story through the conversations that are happening kind of next to Wolverine, right? Where you've got all these different, uh, voices speaking, you've got the professor, you've got the, you know, the technicians, and then you've got this other voice when it's never very clear who this, uh, you know, third voice who's directing the professor and, and they're all, those things were all color coded. So, you're in, you kind of know who's talking um, after a couple of pages, but with this one, I what I loved about this was is that is that Wolverine's voice? Is that Gorgon? Is that you know the hand? Is that you know is that some kind of spiritual component of reincarnation? I just, I love that. I mean, I love that if this is in fact you know this rage part of Wolverine that just wants to kill that Wolverine is having to suppress normally all the time, and now the you know the interlocutor that, that Wolverine has to kind of like calm himself is now removed. That governor is removed. And now you've just got, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're throwing a lit match into a, <laughs> a gasoline tank. That was never clear to me, but that's what was also cool is like, and, and again, like to your point about leaving, you know, saying a lot without saying much, you know, is that, is that something else that Mark is, giving to future writers? Is that something that Mark wants to develop further for himself? I, I love this. It's such a great device. And it also helps drive the story, you know, like when, when, cause when he's this mindless killer, you know, you don't really get to do that. What they do in comics on film is why I love this medium so much. You don't get to hear if, if you know, in winter soldier, you don't get to hear what Bucky's thinking, you know, when he's killing people, you know, does he want to be doing this? You know, probably not, but like he doesn't have a choice. Um, and, and, you know, but when in comics, you can hear that dialogue, you can build that tension for yourself. It's, it's just, it's such a great medium. 
before we get into uh, the Fantastic Four segment of this the the book, um, there's a bit in here where like the the aircraft carrier that Wolverine is is being held on, he blows it open, you know, water rushes in, sharks come in. Uh, I was talking to our friend Nick Lowe the other day, and Nick Lowe, longtime editor at Marvel Comics, he's worked on a bunch of stuff. He actually, he, I brought this up to him um, that we were talking about this book, and he said he ended up working with John Romita Jr. on The Eternals shortly after this series, um, and he remembers Johnny Jr. telling Nick that um, Johnny liked working with Mark, but thought that Mark was nuts. And he's like, uh, you know, like, I don't know why he made me draw all these sharks. Sure, I did it, but that's a lot of sharks to draw. No one's ever made me draw that many sharks. Uh, just like the guy who's drawn pretty much everything in the Marvel Universe is, is like hung up on the sharks of it all, which is great. That's funny. <laughs> there are a lot of sharks in here. Uh, I will say this. You know, I thought you were going with this is that Nick uh, was going to be developing this shark that was attacked by Wolverine. Um, you know, much like a werewolf, when <laughs> you are attacked and survive, you become a werewolf. You, you've got Wolver Shark, uh, a new character. Um, I'm going to call Nick later. We're going to develop this together. <laughs> I'll call John Jay and get him back from to Marvel. Get Mark Miller in here. Um, no, but I love it. I mean, it's it is just it's absolute heightening. Like if you're in the like if you are in a battleship and you get out. You know, you're not just going to swim. You got to fight some sharks. You know, of course, it's <laughs> great. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome, and especially the shot too, because I know not everybody's going to see the shot. But like, if you look at it, the shark is like, ah, oh, if only I had hands. <laughs> you know, it's like he's getting him right in the belly. Like the shark can't hurt you there, Wolverine. Like the shark should have gobbled him up, and he should have clawed his way out of the shark. You know, but I guess he saved that for Old Man Logan, right? The crescendo for Old Man. Logan. Fair enough. Yeah, this is a couple of years before Old Man Logan. This is also a couple of years before Civil War, which Tucker and I talked about in a recent episode. Um, and there's a neat bit in this third issue. I don't know if you picked up on it, Tucker, but there's a bit where Reed is talking about a project he's working on with Tony Stark and Hank Pym. And I, and we get into what that project is and stuff, but I, I like the idea of Mark bouncing that that the three of them around in his head a couple of years early before he gets to using them for the civil war of it all. Yeah. I, I love that scene. I just, I just love any scene where a writer is challenged to write to their, you know, greatest intelligence and to be like, you know, it's the kind of that impossible thing of like, how do I write someone who's smarter than I could ever comprehend? Um, but of course it's done so beautifully. And I, and I love the, I think a really effective means to do that, and it's, it's something that we see utilized here a little bit and in various places, is just the kind of the mystery of it all, you know, and, and knowing when to sprinkle that on, knowing when to dive deep into the Reed Richards kind of um, equations and, uh, and everything, um, but then knowing when to pull back and just give enough that you know it's this other entire thing. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the combination of those three characters was something that was a kind of threshold moment here as well for this, uh, arc, because that's for me when it begins to really expand into like, oh, that we are going to go and visit every single kind of major character, every single, uh, corner of the universe here. And uh, it's all intertwined. I, I think your point is is a great one, and it's actually this this the, these six issues almost feel event esque in that way because of how expansive it gets and how it becomes this all star book in a way, um, while somehow also just keeping this this kind of dark core narrative that is really super tight at the heart of it all uh, the whole time. In that way, I think it's also kind of a a fun little toe dipped into the water in terms of that kind of bigger, broader storytelling. And you know what? What's really crazy is one page later, like literally you you see the three of them working on the terraformer, and you literally flip the page, and what do you see? Wolverine with red-hot claws, which is something that became a thing about six months ago. 
uh, for Wolverine. <laughs> so, you know, and Johnny, Johnny Storm is like holding his wrists at the top of the page. And then by the bottom of the page, well, Logan's got his claws popped and they're, they're red hot. Uh, and I was like, oh, uh, I think he, he gets cred for that too. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like what, uh, 16 years before it became like a thing that we were doing for, for a bit. So, yeah. Hey, you guys talked about the, the Western aspects of this, the noir aspects of this, but the, the third part, the fa- end of the fantastic four issue is like horror movie to me because you got, you know, Wolverine and he crashes in with Johnny. And then it's that moment, like, we got the monster. We got the bad guy. He's dead. You know, like we're we're loading him up into a truck, and it's like, that's not him. That's not him. Like I love the the way the story pivots so deftly from all these different genres and pastiches. Yeah, it's a little uh, Silence of the Lambs, right? Mm. Yeah, that escape, and two, and also like the last page there. It's 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 kind of undetermined who this character is, and you kind of feel like it, it's a it's a Weapon X throwback because he feels like this is that kind of unnamed professor that was at the lab. It was a bald guy with glasses. They pulled everything out and they used it here. It was really really fantastic. It's just a, such a great great book. Yeah, the uh, fourth part is where we meet our wonderful, lovely seven hundred one hundred and seventy five year old Satanist who she has been funding Hydra since the 50s. She's funded big companies. And, like, you feel like it almost feels like Mark's having a good time. It's just like he puts in there, look at their logos. You could see all the, the, the weird stuff in there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's just having a great time in mainstream comics and just putting everything he can. <laughs> there, the, I, I like the little details that we add in here, um, like getting a, a sense of how much time has passed, five weeks uh, at that point, 18 attacks. There are 4,700 quote unquote costumes in the U.S. You know, like costume heroes. And like to what you were saying earlier, and and both of you were were saying, it's like the sense of the of, of event scope, the the heightenedness, the way it's like, oh, this is spiraled out of control so quickly, it could affect the entire planet. The penultimate issue of this first part. Uh, is cool because it's Wolverine versus Daredevil and then Elektra versus the Gorgon. Um, and I, I, it's been years since I read this. Well, I don't know when the last time either of you read this, but I have forgotten about bits and pieces of this, particularly this issue and and like a lot of what ha- what Wolverine goes through and the Gorgon Elektra fight. Yeah, you know it's really funny because whenever I see Daredevil and Electra drawn by John Junior, like it, it's very invocative to me of a particular. You know, you know, there's so many great teams of writers and illustrators, and you know, and creative teams that have taken a, like a crack at Daredevil. It's really, it's almost like, it may be one of the greatest. Uh, creative endeavors in all of comics. Like if you look at the history of Daredevil, you know, like like all of these incredible stories that have been done by these great teams. But like when John Jr. gets on this book, is illustrating these characters, it brings another level to it. And maybe maybe it is just that aesthetic of looking at his pencils and, uh, and Klaus Janssen's inks with these particular characters. But it's also this incredibly... Um, this incredible writing of of like, you know, letting these characters battle and do it in such a very cinematic way. Um, and now you've added this, you know, secret sauce of Wolverine to this fight. You know, uh, you know, the hand was always a component with Daredevil, but you know, you never saw, you know, Wolverine get get mixed up with this creative team before. So it's just really, really neat to see how all this shakes out because you know they're all. They're all very good at what they do, you know, uh, but one of them is the best <laughs> and they got to work it out, you know. <laughs> I was thinking the same exact thing, specifically like with the start of this issue, literally the first words I think in the issue are, you know, Wolverine is, you know, has, uh, you know, he's on top of Daredevil and he's ready to strike and he says, I understand you're a religious man, Murdoch. Which, again, is so evocative. It's so succinct. And I think it immediately puts into um, combat these two personalities as much as we're about to get the kind of 
actual physical action that you know uh, comes after this because I completely agree this is one of those kind of showdowns that I w would never really automatically think about um, just because I really feel like you know they they so rarely come into contact they they're two of the kind of most famous and storied, you know, characters at the House of Ideas, and yet, you know, to see them throw down like this is a pretty rare sight to see. So I love that juxtaposition of not just their ways of doing things, but of their psyches and just their approach to the world. And obviously so much is going on inside Wolverine's head, and that's its own thing, but to um, square these two up, in every single way down the line is just fascinating. Yeah, plus he hits him in the mouth of the shake weight. <laughs> I love the, the sound effect there. Clump. Clump, 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 clump. <laughs> um, all right, let's round into the home stretch with the last part, last issue of this uh, first part, because we've seen the Fantastic Four. We've got all the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. We've gotten Daredevil, like street-level stuff. We have to, in this final part, not only get the X-Men, but we also get Avengers. Uh, and like, it's just everything all out on the table. Uh, Wolverine, like getting inside the mansion. There's that great moment where you got the kitty, kitty pride and Rachel Summers or Rachel gray, uh, talking. And then she's like, all right, you can stop being invisible. And he's been there the whole time. And that sets a great tone for the issue because it's just, mayhem and horror and at one point he takes the blackbird and he flies it through the ground like up through the mansion just yelling die blah blah you know bleep 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 it's rad he does have a moment you know like where he gets stabbed through the heart presumably with a sword and uh he's able to uh retain himself and uh, you get a hint of what's coming and it's like oh man this is we've gone through all of this like he has marched his way you know uh you know with spiked boots all over you know all over marvel and all over creation um and then you get this hint it's like this isn't even you know this wasn't even the point you know all of this was yet another distraction so it's it's as if we take that first moment where we've got this very riddled little puzzle to pull wolverine out you know to make him susceptible we've now done that all over again for the last five issues and wolverine is that little little boy and you know with with a giant even bigger purpose on top of this for, for the powers that be that are, that are directing him so again it's just like it's a puzzle within an enigma within a riddle. <laughs> it's great. It's so great. It's like, you know, it's literally like watching somebody, uh, you know, fix a Rubik's cube in real time. You know, like how, you know, you're like, how are you able to do this? You know, like it is, it's like a magic trick. It's truly like a magic trick the way that this is written. Uh, also a magic trick in which Mark is also like, it would be great to put this scene in that and like having Captain America smashing Wolverine down with his shield and just saying, <laughs> heal this. Like it's the magic trick and then a little bit of sauce on top. Oh, yeah. It's a great page. Uh, so this enemy of the state first part ends with uh, Wolverine having killed. Oh, yeah. We didn't even mention him, which I guess makes sense. Poor Hornet. Hornet gets killed uh, because S.H.I.E.L.D. thinks he's uh, Spider-Man. They mistake who that guy is. But Hornet, one of the Slingers, is killed. And more importantly, North Star gets, um, gets ganked by Wolverine. Uh, Baron Strucker's plan to use Wolverine is, fails because Wolverine is taken down. Um, but that means Strucker's out. Gorgon's in. Satanist lady still gets to get her rocks off the way she wants. Wolverine's in uh, custody of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he's uh, going to be real pissed when he wakes up. Yeah, Fury's last, the last line is, we got our little killing machine back. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> oh, man. What a fun read. Um, this is great, guys. This is what you do? You just sit around and read comics and talk about it all day? This is great. How do I, how do I get that job? <laughs> You're welcome to join us anytime you want, Jeff. Listen, whenever you guys want to do something like this, um, I have a full room full of these comics that I've read and will reread again. So uh, I this, this was delightful. 
Um, and so much fun uh, to revisit an incredible story uh, with very, very cool people. So thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, we're going to have to finish the story because it is it does end on a bit of a sort of cliffhanger. So um, when we come back to do Wolverine Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., you'll have to be the guy to talk to. I would love to. Thanks, Jesse. Guys, thank you so much for uh, facilitating this. Uh, and uh, I hope you guys stay safe and can't wait to talk to you again soon. You too, Jesse. Thanks, man. Oh, all right. So sorry to see Jesse go, but we will talk to him again. But of course, on Marvel Unlimited, we have new issues added to the service this week. Plenty of stuff to get you going. Uh, in particular, there are three issues I want to point out. New Mutants number one and X-Force number one. Both of those are Dawn of X uh, books, and they are terrific. X-Force is going to blow your friggin' head off, man. Uh, and then Yondu number one. I really, really, really can't stress enough how good this series is. Uh, John McRae is the artist on this, doing some of the best work of his career, and that's saying something. So really good stuff. Edit to MU this week for y'all. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and Mr. Daniel. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is our Spider-Man, who's actually really hornet, and um, I'm so sorry, Brad. <laughs> anyway, I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.